welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with an album review. You may be familiar with this one. This is the 1988 release from Queensryche called Operation Mind Crime. This was a pretty groundbreaking album, um, you know, again, still before the internet. So there weren't forums of people going back and forth, you know, trying to figure out what was happening in this story. Although I guarantee had the internet been a thing at this point, there would have been tons of dialogue and speculation and all kinds of things going on, probably arguments and people being ridiculous, but that's just humanity for you. Interestingly, this was kind of the beginning of the end for Queensryche in this incarnation that we know it. Um, everything that I've read about this and uh, and learned is that the, you, you know, when a band has an incredibly successful album and then they go to try and do the next album, there's that pressure of you have to do at least this good or better. And that can cause a lot of problems. And from what I understand, and, and you know, I don't know the guys, I've never met anybody in Queensryche or confirmed this with them directly. But from what I've been able to surmise from my research is it didn't get any easier after this. Um, I remember one friend going to see them. I think it was on the, either the Empire Tour, the one after that. And they said that the guys weren't even acknowledging each other on stage. It was really a sad uh, kind of thing. So, you know, people dream about success, but you don't always know what comes with it. And that's kind of sad. However, on the bright side of things, Queensryche would, in this basic incarnation, get back together and record Operation Mindcrime 2. The bold follow-up in 2006, it was released. And, you know, I have to say that is a pretty gutsy move couple reasons. One, you're so far removed from the subject matter to try and jump in and create a continuation of the story can be difficult because you're just in a completely different zone. You've all grown in different directions and, you know, trying to get back into that mindset is a very difficult thing. We've seen that with uh, even just short writer strikes in Hollywood where they try to get to together afterward and the shows suffer for it a little bit. Um, also just even trying to continue a story that's already been accepted and loved and appreciated by so many people, that's just a risky thing on its own. You know, uh, uh, Alice Cooper did that decades later after he recorded Welcome to My Nightmare. He recorded the, the second, uh, album, Welcome to, I think it was Welcome to My Nightmare, T-W-O. And uh, again, you know, taking big risks because there's so many things that are different. If you did the first one and then you did started writing the second one right after, that's really your best chance for continuity, for storyline, for musical cohesiveness. Doing it a decade or two later, it's it's really getting sketchy. I will say, I did like Operation Mindcrime too. I, I thought it was a good album. Do I listen to it often? No. I really don't. I think it was a good album, but it doesn't it doesn't have a lot of magic for me. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's very well written and very well performed. Um, I don't remember the story at the moment or how how that all unfolds, but I remember thinking it was it was pretty intelligently done, you know. But I it felt a little bit like you need something, whether it's money or fame or whatever it is. And so you're revamping this thing to try and capture that again. And I get that on some levels, but 
for me, I think that was just kind of an overshadowing factor. And I'm not sure I was really able to fully immerse myself in it. I'll give it another chance at some point. Maybe I'll cover it on the show. I don't know. Um, I'm not inspired enough to do that. So if you guys want me to do it, let me know. And maybe I will. We'll see how that all pans out. But for now, we're talking about Operation Mindcrime 1, the first one. Um, I was a junior in high school when this came out. And we had just moved to Colorado when when I found out about it. I, I don't remember knowing about this in Michigan. I think it was somebody in... I can't remember if it was a history class or whatever, because I had kind of like a pseudo month, the final month of school um, of my sophomore year when we first moved to Colorado, because we moved at the end of, of my sophomore year. And so I just had like one month to go to school there and finish the year out. It was a very bizarre transitionary thing because they didn't have all the classes that I had. So we just kind of had to make do and make the, that month work and get my credits and everything. It was really bizarre. It all worked out. But uh, it was a weird month. And I remember meeting somebody who was a big fan of Queensryche. And um, they uh, that's how I found out about the band, because I, I had never heard of them. And then uh, when Operation Mindcrime came out, it was a pretty big deal. It was somewhere in my junior year. And um, it was really uh, an amazing album, very groundbreaking. Of course, I'd been familiar with concept albums prior, thanks to Arthur Brown and, and uh, Alice Cooper. Um I guess I, I I can't really count Jesus Christ Superstar because that was really more of a rock opera as opposed to a concept album. But um, it was certainly something I was familiar with and I was excited to get into it. People were talking about him like, hey, what's the big deal? So I got the I got the cassette and um, really dug into it. I mean, the music was just fantastic. I love the sound of the album. I think it's one of the best mixed albums that, that I've heard to this day. And that leads to a really interesting side note. And, and I'm not going to bash them. I'm sure they've had enough of this. I'm just going to state this as more of a fact for me is that um, I saw my brother and I drove up to Denver. We got to see Queensryche on this tour open up for Metallica, who was on the And Justice for All tour. And I find that combination particularly interesting because one, I thought Queensryche blew Metallica off the stage that night. They were absolutely stunning. Amazing. I was not familiar with any of their other work, really kind of barely familiar with Operation Mindcrime, but it was a fantastic show. Um, but their album being one of the ones that I think is absolutely the best mix I've ever heard opening for Metallica, who was coming off of an album, which is absolutely one of the worst mixes I've ever heard to this day. I tried to listen to Blackened the other day and I really just tried to focus on the music, but it goes beyond the bass being cut out and the snare being papery. It's just so dry. It really sounds like they recorded it in an incredibly padded room, like they rented out an old sanitarium that hadn't been uh, demolished yet. And they're like, hey, let's just record here really quick before they destroy the building. It is just so incredibly studio sounding. And I think that's what I really hate about it, more so than the lack of bass and more so than the papery drum. And the kicks drums aren't too bad. I don't mind those as much. The snare drum just really lacks, um, it just really lacks a body. You know, it's almost like they just held the head up in the air and he hit that instead of actually hitting a snare drum. Really, really strange. But anyway, I don't want to bash them any more than I already have. We'll do that when I get to that episode, which is coming at some point. Um, I will be reviewing all the Metallica albums. For you guys who are interested in the a little bit more modern era of Metallica, starting with the Black album, check out Ultimate Catalog Clash, 
my co-host from the Aerosmith podcast, uh, Corey Morissette, and of course, Kevin Brown, who was just recently on the show, do that show. Uh, really fascinating stuff. I was not, I was very familiar with the Black Album. Never heard Load, never heard Reload. As I'm recording this, they finished Load. They haven't started Reload. We're getting ready to record the uh, season finale episode this week, which uh, this week as I'm recording it, not as you're listening to it. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. It should be fun. I'm, I'm dying to see who gets the next pick and what the next season will be. That's almost as exciting as the seasons themselves. Uh, but lots of fun. Great show. So go check that out if you want to hear some more Metallica. But we're here to talk about Queensryche. And uh, being that this is a concept album, the songs they have, you know, they're varying. Some of them are in between song cuts. And so they're a little bit shorter. So it's going to be kind of weird how I do this. I'm going to jump in with playing the first two pieces together on the album. The opening is called I Remember Now. It's a uh, dialogue piece, so it's very short. It's only 17 seconds, and that goes into one of my favorite pieces. Uh, actually, I just love this. It's called Anarchy X, and let's hear how those sound. Hello? Hello? Perhaps you need another shot. Let me just start by saying I absolutely love this song. Um, We'll go back, though. Let's start with uh, I Remember Now. Obviously, this is our introduction. We're getting some sense that there's a mystery that's about to unfold in front of us. And um, obviously, this guy that's talking, who we immediately realize this is the guy whose story we're going to be following. He's a bad guy. He's done something to piss off a nurse. And uh, I'm guessing it's not his, his attitude in the hospital probably something he's done that put him there. 
and uh, she's not too happy with uh, with having to deal with him. But then it goes into Anarchy X, and I just love this. The drums are fantastic, very nice performance, but the sound, you get a sense of the sound of what the album's going to be. And I think the, you know, the, the low rhythmic guitars sound great. Drums are fantastic. Then the higher guitars come in and just add a really nice layer. It's very well balanced and uh, just a cool driving beat. I absolutely love this. Uh, as it goes into the end of it, it actually turns into a, a bit of a beat. You really get to hear what this snare is going to sound like. And really, it sounds a lot like a gunshot. It's just got a really powerful crack to it. And I think that really plays into the story quite a bit. Um, very cool. I absolutely love this piece. And then we get into one of the, uh, you know, our real first uh, unfolding of the story. This is called Revolution Calling. So you heard in Anarchy X some um, muffled addressing of, it sounded like it was through a loudspeaker. It had that sort of, you know, delay and echoey sound to it as if it was in a, a public uh, open area through speaker system. And then you hear the crowd just kind of, you know, responding to that. And that kind of leads into this um, really cool it's it's surprising. I want to say you'd think that it would start with a more powerful song, something that has, you know, a, a grind to it or a, a tempo that's faster than this. But I think this is really nice coming off of Anarchy X. Um, it, it keeps the tempo of that. But you I mean, you would just think that, like, we're going to start with something faster or more of a grinder. And I'm glad they didn't. I, I think it's important to spend the early parts of the album getting a grip on the story. Once you've done that, then you can go and branch in different kind of musical directions as the story requires. When things are getting exciting, you play something faster. And when they're more melancholy, you go in different directions. But I think this is good to establish the position in the story. And we're learning a little bit about our character here. I don't want to get into the story itself on this, except for my feelings on it, which I will save for the end. That way, if you guys don't want spoilers, you can stop the podcast before I open my mouth and say what I'm going to say. For now, we're just going to talk about the music. I love this song. <laughs> I do. I think it's really cool. It's It's got a really good feel to it. Again, you really get a sense of the snare. And uh, You guys that aren't familiar with the album didn't hear Anarchy X play out to where you heard the individual snare, but you get to hear it on this. It does have that really good crack to it. I absolutely love it. Um, 
doing a more critical listen now, I honestly, I still love the mix. I think it's fantastic. There's always an argument that you could have a little bit more bass drum and a little bit more bass to kind of drive it. But honestly, I think this sounds really good as it is. I, I might, I mean, if I were the engineer, I might experiment with it a little bit, but I don't really know that I change it. It, it, it may be a smidge, if at all just a little more bass and kick drum. But other than that, I think it's a very powerful sound. The guitars are amazing. There's some killer guitar work on this song. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a favorite. And this one leads us into the title track, Operation Mindcrime. Hello? going to talk about how amazing Jeff Tate sounds on vocals on this album. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, Very powerful, great range. Again, was not familiar with him at all until this album came out. I'd heard of the band, but I don't think I ever listened to anything. You guys have to remember too, that if we wanted to hear music, we either had to buy it or know somebody that had it so we could check it out. There was no internet, no YouTube, no nothing. Uh, maybe they would play something in the record store and that would be about it. You know, uh, it was very, very limited. We didn't have, uh, I mean, you could try and get a, a request in on the radio if you knew a song, but again, you had no way to look it up. So you'd have to go to a record store, find out the band's popular song, guess if you didn't know, you know, maybe look and see if they had a 45 or something out. But it was, it was a whole different process than it is nowadays, where now if you want to check something out, you can, you know, if you're one of those people who subscribes to, a music service like Spotify or Apple Music, um, or like me, I'll I'll go to YouTube so I can get a sense of something and see if I want to buy it or not. But yeah, there was there was nothing back then, guys. It was a completely different world. So this was really my first experience hearing these guys and uh, loved Scott Rockenfield as a drummer. I think he's fantastic on this album. Jeff DeGarmo, great guitarist. There's so much great work on on this album. There really is. But uh, yeah, Jeff Tate, amazing range, excellent rock singer. Definitely felt like he had some some opera training or something like that. Turns out he did. And there you have it. But great range. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I don't know what he sounds like now as he's doing his own tour and Queensryche is doing their own tour. Um, yeah, so that it didn't last after Operation Mindcrime 2. I'll just put it that way which is sad. It's a shame. But this song, the title track, uh, really fantastic. It, it gives you 
an understanding of the story, where we're at, what's to be expected in a way. I mean, you don't know the twists and turns, but now that you kind of see the story unfolding, you know where it's it's going to go. And then all the twists and turns as as things play out, um, really a brilliantly written concept album. And this really was one of the albums that made me want to do a concept album. I would say, uh, you know, Crazy World of Arthur Brown's uh, album, um, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. And then um, probably Welcome to My Nightmare and Goes to Hell from Alice Cooper. Maybe Goes to Hell a little bit more because I think that was a more defined concept album for me. And I don't think I really understood Welcome to My Nightmare was a concept album for quite a while. It seemed like there were some connected songs, but overall I didn't see the story until more recently. But uh, Goes to Hell definitely has a very linear story to it. So uh, I would say Arthur Brown... Alice Cooper Goes to Hell and Operation Mindcrime were the ones that really made me want to start doing concept albums. And I thoroughly enjoy doing those. Would definitely love to do another one at some point. Um, but anyway, yeah, Operation Mindcrime, it sets the story a little bit more than Anarchy or a little bit more than um, Revolution Calling does. And it just, the story just continues on from there. Again, I don't want to get too much into the story because I want, you know, to give you guys the chance to discover it if you're not already familiar with it. But speaking of music, let's talk about the song Speak. Another one of my favorites from this album, but let's hear it first. Some of these songs, you guys hear little audio fragments at the beginning of it. So this was um, ripped from the CD onto, maybe I didn't get the cassette. Maybe I got the CD. I can't remember now. I, I, for some reason, I picture having the cassette. I might have gotten the CD down the road. But in any case, this was ripped from the CD. So when you rip them from the CD, a lot of times the programs will put this little uh, gap in between the files. And the way that they cut them uh, was for one continuous play. So the, it will switch the file IDs, but the audio doesn't break out. Things work a little bit differently now with different systems, and sometimes it leaves a gap. So the where the place that they put the file ID is a little bit before the song actually starts. So you're hearing the tail of the previous song going into this song. So if you were to just play the CD, depending on your player, you might not hear that at all. It might be completely seamless, which was the initial goal. But when you break them up into individual files, it is dependent on the locate the exact location of that file ID and uh, gets a little wonky listening to them as individual MP3s. 
but that's how uh, that's how we do the reviews. So there you are, um, in case you're wondering why the beginnings of all the songs sound really bizarre. <laughs> that being said, I love this song. It's fantastic. Great energy. This is the energy I would have expected Anarchy X to go into. You know, something really up-tempo, really just let's get out there and, and blitz them with everything we've got. But they didn't do that. I think that was a wise decision. And uh, if it wasn't a concept album, the tempos might feel a little bit weird. This might have been a good opener, you know, if, if it wasn't about the story, if you just had music that had these uh, rhythms to them. But I love the drums, especially in the opening. It's very fragmented. And uh, and that's really cool because the story is fragmented. So again, it's kind of, you know, musically playing out the narrative. And what's fun about this is the backing vocals are just killer. I mean, absolutely killer. And back in the day, you know, before all my voice problems and everything, I actually used to be able to sing those backups fairly consistently. At least I think I did. I, maybe my pitch was off. I don't think so. Um, but I used to sing along to this in the car quite a bit. It was a great vocal exercise because it really stretched my range. And I, I liked that. I liked to sing high. Um, I like to sing in high registers before anybody goes thinking I'm a druggie because not the last thing I can say. Although, full disclosure, I'm trying this superfood creamer in my coffee as I record this. And it tastes really weird. It's supposed to be mint chocolate chip. And it tastes like, um, well, something. What? I'm not sure, but definitely not mint chocolate chip. Uh, it's almost like, you know, when you're expecting, you bite into a candy bar and you're expecting like a mint flavor and, and, and chocolate mixed together. And what they gave you was carob and you didn't know it. And you bite down and there's that moment of confusion and then that moment of sorrow. And the, then the disappointment that you're not getting what you thought you were going to get. Uh, that's how every drop of this tastes. But you know what? It's a superfood. It's good for me. It's not incredibly unpleasant. Um, it's just does not hold up to what it said it was going to. So that being said, who knows where this podcast is going to go guys. Um, yeah, speak killer, killer track, absolutely killer track. Um, the vocals really make a, a big difference. Very powerful delivery from, from Jeff Tate through the whole song, really political. Um, especially when you get, uh, into going into the last chorus, um, the, the last line in the verses, um, will burn the white house down. And then it goes into speak to me again. So it's really, you know, against the grain, against the uh, the corporation, as it were. And uh, I think that's part of what makes it a great song for me. But the beat is just perfect. The, the drums, I love those fragmented parts. I love the parts where it stops and then it comes back in again. Transitions from the last line of the verse into the chorus are phenomenal. Uh, just an excellent song from top to bottom. And that honestly leads right into another amazing song. This is called Spreading the Disease. She 
So let's start with the beginning. I love the intro. That uh, opening on the toms is fantastic. And that's not double bass drums at all. Um, they're, they're definitely uh, more toned than that. And you can hear what the bass drum sounds like when he hits the crash. And then those uh, blistering snare fills in between sounds absolutely amazing. A very, very smooth piece. Uh, love the creativity of that. And then it does repeat uh, in the song later on. Uh, there's a nice breakdown where it goes back to the toms and, and some really uh, darker voices coming from Jeff Tate. I also love the range that he shows in this song, too, you know, coming in with a, a lower tone and then the way he just screams himself into the chorus. Just absolutely phenomenal. Um, really, really amazing piece of music. But coming off of Speak, which is, you know, a faster tempo song and then going into this one, really powerful transition between the two and uh, just continuing a streak of energy. And then some of the, the little vignettes are attached to the ends of the file. So you're not hearing those, but they are uh, part of what continues the narrative along and uh, are very important to the storyline, of course, which is what we're not getting into um, for now. But uh, very, very cool piece of music. I, I love it. Another one that I'm just happy to listen to over and over again. I especially love, and, and of course, it's not in the clip because it's the, at the end of the song, but the way that the song comes back into the last final chorus and then uh, everything that happens from there is just could not have been written better as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely stunning piece of music and one that I, uh, I love listening to. And now we uh, we change things up a little bit. We're going to get into a song called The Mission. The, the magic of the sound of this album, even now, you know, that I've heard this thing, I don't know how many times I've listened to this album, quite a bit. And still, it just uh, is amazing to me. While I was editing that, I did think of another album, actually, that probably had an influence over me as a, um, as a concept album, which would be Frank Zappa's Thing Fish. I, I can't say 200 Motels because I still don't know what the hell's going on on that album. It's like, giant patches of vast wasteland and then you just wind up in a small town and there's a song with people and then you go back out into the wasteland again it's just weird and i i never really actually followed the story of that in the least little bit 
But um, but Thingfish definitely had a very cohesive story. Of course, Terry and Dale Bazio were the uh, two main characters on that. And um, yeah, really cool album. So I would say I would have to add that into the mix of the ones that I've already mentioned. But let's get back to Queens, right? Um, wow, uh, The Mission is such a powerful song. It's so dramatic and really just huge and gothic sounding. And I, I absolutely love that. The vocals really make this song something amazing. Um, for me, it's it's the biggest sell, but the whole sound just sounds absolutely fantastic, and and I really really dig it. Um, we're going to get now to about the halfway point of the album. This is called "Sweet Sister Mary," and it's S U I T E, not S W E E T. So apparently, she's a place that you can stay. Kill her. That's all you have to do. Kill Mary. She's a risk. And get the priest as well. This song is another one of my favorites on this album. It's just, it's gothic and huge. And it it starts to show the breaking down of the character, the madness setting in with the task that they've been given, which is very against their, their grain and uh, upsetting to them. And you really just get a sense of the conflict. I love the um, just wild guitar sounds that we hear in there. They're subtle, but they're wild. And I, I like that. Um, there's some really nice percussion using the ride bell um, and probably the bells of a couple other symbols uh, in, in here. And uh, a really great build that I, I think is just perfect for a concept album like this. It really carries the story, which is obviously what it was designed to do, as opposed to just being a, a, like an album track. And this is really more part of the cinematic narrative, I would say. But a really cool track. And you know what? I don't think that I went into who the hell is even on this album. For the band, we've got Jeff Tate on vocals. We've got Chris DeGarmo on guitar, Eddie Jackson on bass, Michael Wilton on guitar, Scott Rockenfield on drums. And of course, uh, everybody but Scott Rockenfield is credited with vocals. But Scott also does percussion and keyboards. Um, Obviously not live. I believe they had a keyboard player when I saw them, if I remember right. That was a hell of a long time ago, so I'm not sure. But uh, we also have a cast, and that cast is Pamela Moore playing Sister Mary, Anthony Valente as Dr. X, Debbie Wheeler as the nurse, you know, the one that hated him at the beginning and was really happy to stick him with a needle. Mike Snyder is the anchorman. 
Scott Mateer as the preacher and the uh, moronic, really it's the moronic monks of Morin Heights as the choir. What we don't get is who the hell plays Nikki. So I'm going to guess that that is probably Jeff Tate. More than likely it's Jeff Tate. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Great song. Very important song in the album, um, Sweet Sister Mary, really just uh, sets the tone for, for the directional change and the twist of the, of the album from here going forward. So that brings us to our ninth track on the album, and this is called The Needle Lies. Nice, powerful, blistering song. Um, very passionate. Uh, I love, again, the backups are just amazing. There's some really cool progressive guitar work uh, on this. It's very, very intense. Obviously, his his conflict um, is really coming through. And I can say that without giving anything away in the story, because there's got to be conflict. Otherwise, you don't have a story to tell uh, other than, hey, it was a nice day and uh, everything worked out. So you've got to have some conflict. Very, very cool part. I want to share with you guys, though, a little bit of the middle section, because there's a part where, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's just so beautifully done that I have to share it. I'm going to play it for you, and then we'll talk about it. I love that. Uh, well, of course, so this is coming out of one of the more progressive parts that I was talking about with uh, the guitars. Um, and then it just goes into this transition going back into the final verse of um, just this intensity. Like I I am feeling incredible pressure. There's like a, it's not quite a grunt, but it's like a gruntish sound um, that goes in and out of that. And then it goes into just the beat and the heavy breathing, which matches the beat perfectly. It's really amazing. You feel the drums have transitioned more into a heartbeat at that point than, than a drum beat. And it's just so powerful. And then I love that little drum fill going into the verse there. Really cool stuff. Uh, one of my favorite parts on the album, I have to say. And, uh, so I, I just had to pick that out and, and share that with you guys, because I think that you would appreciate that too, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe you're like, hey, now you ruined the whole song. Everything's out of context. I don't think you're saying that. Anyway, uh, great song, though. An another really energetic one. So we're really going up and down in, in the uh, energy factor here, which is great because it just kind of leaves you reeling a little bit. 
you know, it's not a, uh, it's not like a, a rock album where, uh, you know, you have like certain range of tempos that you stay within and then you have your ballad for song two or song three or wherever you're going to put it. And then maybe one lighter song on side B. Um, it's really not, this is more of a cinematic flow to it. So it's like, Hey, if we need to do three songs that are fast in a row, then that's what we're going to do. If we need to do a, a you know break here for the story, then that's what we're going to do. So it has more of a cinematic flow than, you know, you would have like a typical arrangement on a rock album. Um, but it's great. I, I love it. I think the flow of it is absolutely fantastic. So that was The Needle Lies. And now we're going to get into a song called Electric Requiem. Yeah, it's a pretty short song. The whole thing is only a minute and 22, but I'm not going to play quite the whole thing here. I just wanted to give you a little taste of it. I love the guitar sounds at the end there. I'm pretty sure there's a noise gate on the bass drum. Um, certainly there's not really a whole lot as far as reverb go. There's not really much of a tail there. It's pretty dry, but it seems cut off, you know, like there's a noise gate that just comes and shuts down any uh, any room noise or, or uh, you know, anything that would give it that live sound, which is kind of interesting because it's hard to go into without getting into the story. I'll just say, remember this point in the story for what I talk about at the end, for those of you who are going to climb the spoiler fence when I put it up. Um, but great song. It's, it's a, again, you know, very passionate vocal. I love the the dynamics, the way that it's engineered, the way that it's performed. Um, musically, it's just, it's not disjointed, but it makes you feel disoriented at the same time, which is, is great. I mean, everything flows and it's in harmony, but it's just so, it's such a weird thing that it just kind of makes you wonder what's going on. What should I be feeling instead of just feeling it, you know, a really, really powerful technique that I happen to like for this uh, very much. I don't think I've ever, well, maybe I, I tried to do something like that on kindred spirits. I'd have to listen back. I can't remember. It might've been sanity's edge or kindred spirits, but it seems like I wanted to do Something along that line, something that felt uh, disjointed without being disjointed, like gives you the impression without the actual action. Um, that also could be the uh, superfood creamer kicking in. I don't remember. In any case, a uh, great song, very important song for the storyline and uh, just a musical connection. I think it's really good because it gives a little bit of a, a brief break on your ears from the blistering version of The Needle Lies then going into this before we get into Breaking the Silence, which is our very next song.
nothing we shared means a thing without you close to me. I love that line. That is brilliant. Absolutely powerful. And uh, it just it just kind of rips your heart out, doesn't it? Really, really well done. And obviously the performance of it, the passion in the voice, it's almost like a plea, the way that he's singing it. Very, very cool. I, I really like that. Um, another great song, a, a little more mid-tempo on this one, which is good because it's more of a kind of a cross between a ballad and a, and a harder rock song, but it really just needed the the room to make the, the, the just like the, the, the please, you know, that crying, I can't believe you're gone, I can't go on without you kind of feeling. Very, very well done. Um, again, the snare really, for some reason, I, I don't think it's mixed any differently than any of the other songs. But for me, the snare really cracks through on this one a little bit more. I compared it to a, a couple of the other songs. I'm like, no, it's not mixed any different, but it just feels like it cuts through. So what happens sometimes is just the combination of frequencies will make something sound different. So typically you've got, you know, your rhythm guitars on every song and your lead guitars and vocals, keys, bass, you know, whatever. And um, certain things are very consistent, but they, there may be a slight change in the performance here or something different in one of the EQs that causes it to uh, cut through more. If you change the guitar EQ, it changes the balance of everything else. So uh, it's very possible that it is, although I'm not hearing a difference when I compare them, but when I just listen to the song, it feels like it's cutting through more. So I don't know. Uh, I've probably lost my mind. It's just not the first time. Uh, however, excellent song. And that is something I think we can all agree on. I did try and find something uh, about uh, who voiced Nikki, because I, I don't know for sure it if it was Jeff Tate. That would make sense that the lead singer would do that. But it probably just would go to whoever had the best performance or best speaking voice in the band. Um, but there's nothing, I can't find anything on who did it. I did find an interesting alternate explanation to this album, which I will save for the spoiler fence. So even though I didn't find the voice of Nikki, I found something far more interesting that again, we'll get into later. We're getting close. We've only got four more songs to go. Um, but yeah, breaking the silence, killer tune, absolutely killer tune. There isn't a bad song on this album. Even the more cinematic parts and uh, things that might be deemed as filler, um, you know, like parts of the mission or Sweet Sister Mary, like nothing. No, I, everything on this album is very important to the story and uh, and just the overall experience of it. You know, sometimes you have um, editors who will say, you know, you don't need this in the story, you don't need that in the story, but sometimes it's more about pacing or giving a little bit of a lull. So you throw in a little bit of filler to just kind of give a false sense of security or, uh, you know, it doesn't, everything doesn't need to be perfectly concise to just what you need to know. And I think Stephen King is, is an over example of that. I always joke about, um, it takes somebody 20 minutes or 20 pages to turn a doorknob in a Stephen King story because it reminds him of his childhood closet door or, you know, whatever. And he goes always into these, um, you know, side stories. And uh, I, I shouldn't say always because I haven't read a new book of his in, in 20 years. But um, other than the Dark Tower series, that was the last thing I think I read from him. But um, it, it is important to find that balance. So while some editors will be like, no, this needs to be concise and this is filler and you can cut that out. Sometimes you need a little bit of that. And interestingly, I think this album is is flawless as far as that goes. I think that there's lulls as far as the action goes, like between some of the songs, you know, the song Sweet Sister Mary is a good example of that. Um, 
but I don't think that anything was was fat or unnecessary or could be cut out. I think it's very concise and very to the point, but also very well told. And except for the end, we'll get to that. <laughs> so anyway, here is song number 12. This is I Don't Believe in Love. I love that accent on the China right after I don't believe in love. And, and that's something that gets repeated in the choruses. It's just part of the, the song, not like a one-off thing, because uh, it just really emphasizes that, you know, almost like you're hitting a gong and saying, this is what I'm declaring. Very, very nice accent. I, I love that. This is another one uh, that I, I used to love to sing back when I could. It's got a great vocal range to it. Really powerful. Um, again, almost, almost it, it isn't more pleading like breaking the silence was, this is almost like, I'm just telling you, this is where I'm at at this point. Like I wanted to be somewhere else, but screw it. Here's how I feel. I've just, I've just given up on it. And, um, that's really cool. The, going into, uh, you know, the, the final lines of the song going into the, the chorus section and then a, a nice little, uh, you know, little progressive part, um, I, I absolutely love the way that that combination is is done. It's just so smooth and a beautiful transition. Um, again, very powerful. Um, that one, uh, the line is uh, without with or without love, it's all the same to me. Meaning he's just really completely disconnected from it. And I, I like that for the character. I think that's a, a very natural conclusion. You know, we're so used to um, you know, Hollywood films and everything having to be wrapped up in a nice little bow and everything having to work out in the end. And you very rarely get stories that don't do that. And that's one thing that I do like about concept albums is I feel like they're a little more free because they don't have, you know, a hundred million dollar budget behind it where, boy, everybody better be happy with the ending. And if it's not, well, you sure hear about that, which is sometimes, you know, a, a, a positive because it gets more people to see the film. But with music, you're not restricted the same way that films are. Yes, people will still talk about it if they're unhappy with the ending because they talk about everything they're unhappy with. But it's more a matter of you have a better license, I think, to do what you want, to tell the story you the way that you want to tell it, that you don't get to do in movies unless it's an independent movie. Um, and then it, it just, I don't know, it usually feels like they're just trying to make a statement. 
they're trying to go out of the way to not be Hollywood or, or uh, you know, here we're telling the story the way we wanted to tell it, but it doesn't feel like it's the story they wanted to tell. They just wanted to tell a story that way. It, 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 I hope that makes sense. It feels forced is what I'm trying to say. Like they're going out of their way to make a statement. Whereas I feel like this is just an incredibly well-told story that's very realistic in the way that not everything just ties together beautifully and it works out for our, our protagonist. And, um, and I like that. I, I think that's really cool. So that's probably another thing that really attracted me to concept albums too, is that it's just, you don't know what the ending's going to be until you get to it. It's not like a movie where, you know, once you understand the premise and you know who the players are, you can predict how it's going to end. You might not understand everything in the journey or be able to predict how you're going to get from point A to point B, but you know what you're going to get at point B. And I think that's a little bit of a turnoff. If there's no stakes, then what's, you know, the journey has to be just fucking amazing. And it usually isn't for me. Um, so yeah, so I don't believe in love. Killer, killer track. And then that brings us to Waiting for 22. Just beautiful guitar work there. I absolutely love it. Um, really emotional piece. Uh, it's short. It's only a minute and five seconds. So I'm just playing you a shorter clip of it, uh, which I'll do the same with the next song, which is My Empty Room is only a minute and 32 uh, as we head into our final song. Um, but yeah, this is a really just a really nice emotional instrumental passage, which I think coming off of I Don't Believe in Love really just makes me feel his his... I guess isolation might be the right word. Um, giving up, you know, just just kind of like, well, it is where it is. And I, I guess I'm still here and doing whatever I'm going to do. Uh, I really love it. I, I think the emotion is just so perfect coming off of that last song. Um, so we're just going to go right into my empty room. I can't pretend 
love those thunderous sounding drums. It's just a strike, just one strike, one hit, but it's so powerful. You know, um, I can almost just like imagine Jeff Tate on top of a pyramid with lightning coming out of his hands when that comes in. It's just that powerful. Uh, really cool. This is like the breakdown of the emotion here. And, um, I, I, it's so vital as we go into our last song to have that last moment with Nikki and, um, just let him show us where he's at. I'll just say that again. Again, I don't want to get too much into the story here. Um, but uh, yeah, really short, but but vital piece. Again, only a minute and 32, but it's a very important piece so that we understand where Nikki is at in all of this that's unfolded and what he's been a part of and the whole mind crime. Um, pretty amazing. And that brings us to our final track, Eyes of a Stranger. I honestly believe that this is probably the most well-crafted piece of music on the album. It is just brilliant. Um, I love the beat, those extra kick drums in the chorus after the snare instead of before it. Um, and then the just the vocal harmonies, the power of it. Obviously, we're back in the hospital now. We're back going towards the beginning of the album where he's in the hospital and he's just remembering. So what we're really experiencing is his replay of all of this. 
And um, so now we've he's told his tale. He's back in the hospital, and now he's just dealing with the aftermath of all of it. Um, there's I I don't want to spoil the end of the song, so I'm just going to say this: the end of the song is absolutely flawless and brilliantly done. Very much worth listening to. Uh, even if you don't like the album, um, you might enjoy going back and just just kind of getting a taste of each song and then hearing the the end of the album because it's just really just so well done. Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'll just leave it at that and, uh, and say that I think that if you are a fan of the music, if you're a fan of a concept album or just hearing a well-told story now and then, this is definitely one to, um, to, to give a chance to, if you aren't familiar with it already. And I hope that you've enjoyed this journey through it. I certainly have enjoyed uh, revisiting the album. It's been a little bit since I've listened to it because I don't really listen to music a whole lot these days. Um, things that you know constantly require my attention don't allow me that luxury at the moment. And that's okay. But uh, yeah, beautiful piece of music. Absolutely fantastic album. Go check it out if you haven't already. There are also... Um, there's a live version called... I think it's called Operation Live Crime, which is just them doing the entire album. I think there was a movie that was displayed on the screen behind them, if I remember right. I don't know. It's all hazy. I've never actually seen the whole thing um, because I don't I personally I don't want the visual accompaniment to it. Um, I really don't. I have the visual in my head of how I see it playing out. And there's you know, there's really nothing that they can do that's going to be better than what I've created in my mind. So, uh, you know, even down to like the looks of the characters is going to be different and it's going to be a whole different story. So there's really, for me, not a, a, a whole lot of interest in seeing that. But uh, if it's your thing um, or you just want to hear the live version, I'm sure there's there's an audio only version of it that you can check out. Um, but fantastic. I, I, and re- seeing them on this tour, I can say um, their live performance was easily as good as the album. And um that's really uh, all I can say. Um, other than that, uh, for you guys that want to hang on for a minute and go with me beyond the spoiler fence, as it were, uh, we'll do that. But first, let me say to the rest of you, thanks for listening. I greatly appreciate that. That makes me happy. I'm not just talking into a microphone for no reason. But uh, also, you know, uh, maybe I've shed some light on a, a new album for you or a new band, or maybe just uh, rekindling a, a love that you had for it and you haven't heard it in a while. Either way, Thanks for sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Let's see. This is Wednesday. Uh, As I'm recording this, I don't know if I have a Saturday interview yet this week. I've been, uh, I have a few things that are up in the air, but there's been no confirmation on the scheduling. So uh, I, I, as usual, you know, you, I don't want to wait until the last minute to record these because I sometimes will be in a position where I don't have the time to do it. So I try to record these at least a couple weeks ahead and, um, you know, even some things that I have scheduled may or may not come through. You know, there are last minute cancellations, things change, things come up, and that's all fine. So I, I hate promising things that uh, that I don't know. So I'll just say for the moment, I have no idea if I have a Saturday interview this week. If you're subscribed to uh, this show on whatever podcast app you listen to, you'll get notifications. If you're following the Facebook page um, for the podcast, you'll get notifications. If you're following my Facebook page, I also notify there. And, um, and then on Instagram, which also has its own Haskincast podcast page, the, uh, all the links are on my website and you can also just, you know, go to the website and see if there's a new episode out. But 
mainly uh, you'll get notifications or should get notifications if you're on any of those. Otherwise, when you go into Wednesday to see the normally scheduled episode, you'll go, oh, bonus episode from Saturday. I'll check that out too. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll do that. So that is where we're at. Uh, I will go behind the spoiler fence now into what I think of the story and, uh, and that. So for those of you who want to save that experience for yourself, you can feel free to come back and listen to it. We're at the 105 point of the podcast, one hour and five minutes. So you can maybe note that somewhere and then come back and see what I had to say about it. And uh, thank you for listening. For those of you who want to stick around, here we go. So uh, I never actually cared to find out what the truth of the story was. And by truth, I mean the, the truth of the narrative inside the story, right? So you've got, um, you know, the, the perception of it. You've got how the story was written. The big controversy of, was this a mind crime? Did Nikki actually kill Mary? Was he just led to believe that he killed Mary? Um, you know, how did this all actually play out? So when I was doing some research, uh, you know, putting the episode together and putting the, the links page together and everything, I thought, you know what, I, I'm kind of curious now. Uh, I want to know what the actual answer is. I think it would be very interesting to, uh, to find out. And so, uh, boy, I, I really kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole. And what it comes down to is that the band never actually said, which is kind of disappointing. I love a little bit of ambiguity, okay? I really do. But at the same point, I don't want it with everything. I want to know what your intention was. Did you literally write it with no idea in mind? Is that the best you could do? Or did you actually have an answer and just wanted to let people stew and figure it out for themselves before you revealed what it was? And sadly, it seems to be the former. Then... I came across something that actually made me less happy than I was with, with the ambiguity, which was that the answer, which was alluded to apparently by one of the band members. And again, this is, you know, this is stuff you find on the internet. So who knows? I was not able to find a direct quote. So take this with a grain of salt. I didn't care for it. It actually really disappointed me was that Mary seeing how her life has unfolded, where she's at, knowing that she's probably going to be murdered, decided to take her own life. And to that, I say that would be the stupidest of all the endings. It really would. Um, somebody who's found faith, it seems like they would always find a way to apologize, um, do, you know, whatever it is, their Hail Marys or, or whatever it would be to, uh, to get back in the, in the grace of God. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that much about how, you know, Catholicism or Christianity or all that works as far as the rules and that go. So I, I don't know, but I, it, I don't know. It just seems to me a, a nun who's gotten herself in a bad place would always be able to go back to the church and uh, I just find taking her life just seems a really bizarre twist, you know, um, possible, certainly. I, I, I'm not saying it's completely unrealistic, but of all the possible endings you could have, the struggle should should really be, was it a mind crime? Did Nikki really kill her or was he led to believe that he killed her and actually didn't? Though That to me would be the bigger puzzle to solve for there to be a third equation of, yeah, she killed herself. It's just so disappointing, you know? 
So I'll, I'll say that. Then as I, just as I was working on the show and I was looking to see who did the voice of Nikki, I found another explanation and I don't know exactly how accurate this is, but it comes from last.fm, which, you know, they, they are known for some speculation, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'll just read the headline and, um, you know, feel, feel free to peruse deeper, but it says, uh, Nikki killed Mary in a brainwashed state under X's command. Thus, he doesn't remember. Dr. X realized Nikki won't be able to perform the murder. So he took matters into his own hands and killed Mary himself. Okay. Now that would be a much better ending than Mary committing suicide. This one, I could say, if that is the definitive answer. And again, no confirmation from the band that I've been able to find. But if this is the correct answer, I could say this makes perfect sense and why the album would be called Operation Mindcrime. Because if it was just manipulating him to kill her, I don't know, that's pretty standard, I think, in, in the criminal world. You know, um, you threaten people with something, you manipulate them one way or another to where they they feel like they don't have a choice and they have to do it if they want to survive on their own. That's pretty normal. The, the idea of Mindcrime would be something more psychological. And to me, the idea that they made him think he did it without him doing it so that he would be the one to take responsibility or he would be the one they would pin it on, however that would all play out, makes way more sense to me. Otherwise, it would just be called Operation Crime. Unless, again, it's designed to mislead you. So I think I, I don't know, again, definitively, is this the answer? Is this not the answer? Cannot tell you. But what I can say is that I like that answer. I really do. I think it's fantastic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave um, leave this link in the show notes. It goes into much bigger uh, explanations and actually four possible uh, situations that could be taken into account. But I, I really think that this is the one that uh, makes the most sense to me. Um, even, even here it says, um, Chris DeGarmo in an interview has noted that Electric Requiem is how Nikki comes back to the church and finds Mary dead hanging uh, by her rosary, but states that you don't quite know who killed her. Was it X or was it Nikki excluding her suicide? But the excluding her suicide part is not in quotes. The quote part is uh, Nikki comes back to the church and finds Mary's Mary dead hanging from her ro- hanging by her rosary, which I don't I don't know how long those are that you could hang somebody with them. I guess it's possible, but uh, but states and then goes back into the quote. You don't quite know who killed her. Was it X or Nikki? Quote. So he's not lending any credence to the suicide theory, which I think is much much better. Now, I have not watched. Okay, so the VHS was called Mind Crime 1989, um, and that was an EMI release. It contained the answer to the question of who killed Mary. Okay, well, here we go. So apparently the answer is there. I'm not going to watch it because, again, I just think that um, it, it just would wreck the visuals that I have for it. But it says it contained videos for several songs on the album, as well as a hidden bonus video for the song I Don't Believe in Love, which appeared after the ending credits. The video featured split screen images, which match only once toward the end of the song Hmm. to form the word suicide. Okay. So again, uh, complete confusion. If that's what they released, but the guitar player said, was it Nikki or Dr. X? Then we still don't know. 
So you see what I mean? This is why I, I like I want a definitive ending. That's just how I am. I don't mind a little ambiguity here and there, um, but for something like this, something that I've you know really enjoyed and invested in, I would really like an answer. And if there isn't one, that's fine. If that's what they chose to do, but um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's just a bit of a letdown to me. So uh, anyway, I, I didn't want to um, go into that for people who might want to enjoy the album as it is and decide for themselves. So if you guys stayed behind the spoiler fence, um, I'm curious to know if you found a definitive answer or what you think. So find the episode on social media and let me know. Uh, Instagram, the Facebook page, or well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> pretty much it because you can't, uh, you know, the, the website doesn't have a forum, so you can't do it there. Um, I suppose if you're on my my regular Facebook page and uh, you find the announcement of the show, you can leave it there as well. I'd be curious to know what everyone thinks, honestly, but uh, there's there really doesn't seem to be anything official. I, I think that suicide really seems to be a strange thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, Dr. X would have been incredibly lucky for her to have done that because it really takes him off off the hook, right? He didn't actually have to do anything. He just had to manipulate Nikki into pressuring her into killing herself. So he didn't have to get his hands dirty. I don't know. That's just so much luck and um, unlikeliness that uh, I, I really just can't entertain that it was suicide. If it was, then um, I think it was a poor choice of endings personally. But that doesn't mean that that's not how it could have played out. Certainly possible. So anyway, there you have it. What do you guys think? That's what I want to know. Let me know. Thank you guys for joining me so much for this episode, and we will see you either Saturday, but definitely next Wednesday for another show. Cheers. Cheers.